You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're with us today. If you are a guest, my name is Bill, and I'd love to meet you following our time this morning. If I have not had the chance to do that yet, I'll be right down front, and I look forward to getting to know you. Welcome to Riverside. Uh, I just, before I get into the message, I want to share some interesting news and something that we're planning at the end of August, a month from now, the last Sunday of August, we're going to do something we've never done before. And at Riverside Park, right across from our Nexus and our office building down there, our Parkside facility, we are going to have a all-church picnic slash community party. And we're going to call it Riverside Summerfest at the Park. Last Sunday of the month, we're going to end the summer, or last Sunday of summer, we're going to end the summer with a great party, a great picnic, and you're invited, your friends are invited, and we just want to fill that place with Riverside people from both locations, as well as all the connections that we have. We're going to have four food trucks down there, Woo-hoo-hoo! and uh, fun and games and all kinds of stuff, so it's just going to be a great time for us to connect with one another and to connect us with our community, and you'll be hearing more about that. Now, here's the thing. If you want to be a part of this and make it as good as it can be, uh, we always can use some people that say, you know, I'd love to be there and be one of the volunteers. Lori is sort of heading this up for us, um, and so she's the, she's the person to talk to, but we have a sign-up sheet in the back there. If anybody wants to sign up and say, yeah, I'll, I'll volunteer, um, I'll be a greeter at the entrances and just help point people to where things are and maybe need uh, help with one of the games or whatever, uh, just sign up and we'll follow up with that. But thank you for that. Um, this summer, for those of you that are guests, we've been doing a summer sermon series that we're calling Page Turner because we're going through the book of Acts. And if you've never read the book of Acts or if you can imagine reading it for the very first time, it is a page turner of a book. It really is. It, th- this story of the beginnings of this movement that we call the church, which is where we are today, a part of what we are about today, had its roots here. This is our spiritual DNA story, the book of Acts. And if you were to get a book to take to the beach with you, you couldn't get one with more drama, more intrigue, more conflict, more heartbreak, heroes, villains, than what you find here in the story in the book of Acts. But it's our story too, which makes it you know, doubly great. So it's all part of this sermon series that we've been doing, this overall arching theme of the year called Step Forward, which goes with the scripture in Galatians that says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And, and how better learn how to keep in step with the Spirit to see how the Spirit moved in the early church and the origins of the Spirit's working among God's people. So that's why we're doing this series to wrap up this theme that we've had for this past year. If you have the Riverside app, I encourage you to follow along. There's notes in there, scriptures in there. You're welcome to make your own notes. If you haven't done that yet, downloaded it, I encourage you to do that. So Paige Turner, the book of Acts written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, states the theme of the, of, of his, the purpose of his 
story in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he, he quoted Jesus, who before he ascended into heaven told his followers, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses. In other words, you're going to tell the story. You're going to bear witness to me wherever you go, beginning here in Jerusalem and then spreading out to Judea and then to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. That's the theme of this story that we are following this summer. And, and for uh, convenience purposes, we've looked at Acts and we've kind of broken it into three parts. The first part or the first volume of this book that we're looking at is called Awaken. That's what we titled it, Awaken. It's the first seven chapters of Acts because it's all about how everybody was being awakened, that, that uh, the, the Jesus followers were awakened to the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter, one of the main characters of this story, was awakened to the fact that he really could be the rock upon which Jesus would build the church and not this person that denied Jesus. That these people that were coming to faith that were growing exponentially and joining this group, they were awakened to a new kind of community where people just treated each other as equals. It didn't matter how much you had or how little you had. It didn't matter what your background, your socioeconomic status was. They shared with one another. They cared for one another. Anybody that was hurting uh, uh, was blessed by those who had an abundance and and, and the needs are being met. And so it just attracted this phenomenal growth in Jerusalem. And it was all contained right here in Jerusalem. And so we, we begin by asking the question, are you woke yet? Are you woke to the, to the ways of Jesus, to the methods of Jesus, to the message of Jesus? But there was another group of people there in Jerusalem that was being awakened. And it was, it was the religious authorities who had the power there, the religious power, the high priest, the Sanhedrin, these people who I call them the, you know, the religious mafia. They were the boss, they were the people, and they were in control of the religious culture there in Jerusalem, the temple and all the center of focus of worship there. And when these people started believing in a Messiah that had come and died and rose from the dead, which did not fit their prescribed theology, when all these people started coming to faith in Jesus, they were awakened to the fact that this was a threat to their authority. This was heresy. This was against what they taught. So as, as what happens, anytime those who are in authority, those who are in power feel threatened, what do they do? They crush the threat. They try to stop the threat. And that's what they decided to do. And they deputized this guy named Saul to be the chief person to quench or to quench this, to quench this, this, this uprising of people who were believing in Jesus. So the first seven chapters tells that story, but then in chapter eight, it sort of makes a shift as we see that this church that started here in Jerusalem spread out, because after chapter seven, Saul, who was deputized to crush this movement, had given the order for one of the first leaders of the church, a man by the name of Stephen, to be stoned to death. And the message was to these people, if you keep preaching this message, if you keep telling this story, this will happen to you too. It was a threat to all the people who were following Jesus. So what do they do? Hey, 
We're going to run for our life. So Acts chapter 8, it's really a turning point in the, in the story. I want to read it again for those of you that have been here and, uh, and it's a, you've heard it before, but I want to say it again. Acts chapter 8 begins with this sentence. On that day, this was the day after Saul gave the command to stone Stephen to death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and everyone except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And godly men buried Stephen and they mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. He terrorized these believers. But what these religious strongmen intended in Jerusalem to do for evil for these people, God turned it around for good. And the people that had been scattered who left Jerusalem running for their lives because they didn't want to get arrested and thrown in prison and maybe stoned to death or crucified like Jesus, they, they, they spread out. They went to Samaria, which was the next town, the next region over. The Samaritans were people that were looked down upon by the Jews. And yet when they went there, they told them about Jesus and they received the, the spirit and were welcomed by God. And then Philip, one of their deacons, went down on the road to, to Egypt and found this Egyptian, I'm sorry, this Ethiopian leader and uh, this government official, this African who also became a believer, who was very wealthy, very high and powerful. So the lowest of the low and the most high and mighty, both were being welcomed into the family and the kingdom, the growth of the gospel was spreading. And this is the theme of the story. And each time we see these happen, we see that the gospel, the Holy Spirit sort of has to leap over a wall or knock down a wall. And that's what today's message is about. We're in chapter 10. Chapter 9 was the story of how Saul, this terrorist himself, who is going to Damascus to inflict more terror on the believers, this Saul who, who was commissioned and deputized to arrest women and children and bring them back to Jerusalem so they could be punished for spreading this, this heresy. This Saul on the road to Damascus was knocked off his horse by God and he was, he was going to arrest the people of the way and then all of a sudden he became a follower of the, the leader of the way himself. He became a follower of Jesus and the greatest proponent of the gospel. So Saul... Well, chapter 10, it goes back to Peter. So the story shifts from the two main characters, Paul to Peter and back to Peter to Paul and back to, to Peter again. And that's what chapter 10 is all about here. So I want to begin by a scripture and then we're going to do something different today that we haven't done yet. I'll explain it. Here's how chapter 10 begins in the story. So you've heard previously on Page Turner what happened. Now we're back to what's new for all who are here. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort or the Italian regiment, a devout man who feared God with all of his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. That's how it begins. Rather than me just tell you the story, I've asked Bridget Huffman to come and help me instead of telling the story about these other people. We're going to make it a little different for you by telling it in the first person. I'm going to be Cornelius, and Bridget is going to be 
Peter, use your imaginations. <laughs> so follow along, follow along in the app if you want to uh, see the scriptures for yourself. But let me just tell you the story of what happened to me. Hi, I'm Cornelius. I'm a Roman officer in the Roman army in charge of 100 people. That's what the centurions were. And I was among maybe six to 10 other centurions who were stationed here in Judea, this podunk little place on the outskirts of the empire. And, and, and I was commissioned to be here with my soldiers, with about a thousand of us here in Judea. And, uh, you know, we're here to keep the peace. We're, we're, the, we're the world's policemen. I mean, we're the biggest army, so we have to be in control. And so, you know, we want to we want to extend the empire. We want to build roads and aqueducts and modernize this, this weird country that we are in and, and bring it up to, to, to snuff with our Roman systems and ways. So, so we're here to maintain the peace, but we do that through strength. We believe in peace through strength. And so we crush anybody that poses a threat to our power and to the peace. Our favorite way of doing that, by the way, is this way of execution that we call crucifixion. It's brutal, but it works. I'm here stationed in Caesarea, which is a coastal town, and it's named after our emperor, Caesar. This is our headquarters here in Judea. This Judea, this place, it's home of these people called Jews. They're a strange group of people. They're, I mean, they're, they're kind and, and, and all, but they're just, they have these weird beliefs and weird behaviors. And, and, and in fact, they, they, they have all these strange customs. They follow these sacred rules in the worship of their one true God. Now, they have this thing that they call a Sabbath where one day a week, you can't get them to do anything. Bunch of lazy bums. They, they, ha they have these weird customs. Their, their men do this circumcision thing. They do it when they're babies. I don't understand that. They're women. They're not allowed to speak in public or teach in public. And, and, they, and, and most important, they have these very, very strict rules. Their dietary rules that they follow. So many things that they're not allowed to eat. And I mean, these poor people don't even eat bacon. What's wrong with them? They don't know what they're missing. So they, that's, you know, we're here to, you know, help these people, you know, in the, in the empire, everybody's welcome to worship however they want and they can do whatever they want. But we just want to keep the peace and make sure nobody gets out of line and help modernize this place. So, you know, I was raised to believe in many kinds of gods. And in fact, even our emperor is a son of the gods. And, and yet I'm intrigued by their belief in this one true God. It really is interesting to me. And so I decided to try it out. And I started praying to this God. And it caught on. And I kept praying to this God. And, and, and I understand that this God teaches that, that our faith should also be matched by our actions. And so... I, I believe that this God wanted me to be generous. The pay is great. I'm a centurion. I'm, I'm well to do. So I'm learning that I'm, sh I'm sharing with the poor. I see that that's what their, their laws teach. So I'm starting to do those things. And, 
And then a strangest thing happened to me one day. I'm in the middle of the afternoon, and like I always do, I'm praying to this one true God, and then all of a sudden, this person appeared to me. An angel of God comes to me, and, and he calls me by name. He knows me by name. I never met him, and he says, Cornelius, and, and I'm terrified, and I say, well, what is it, Lord? And, 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 and he says to me, you know, your prayers and your alms, the gifts to the poor, they've come before God. They're a memorial before God. I mean, he tells me that he knows my name and that God hears my prayers and sees my giving and that God's pleased with me. But then he said to me this, gave me this direction. He said, there's a guy I want you to meet. And at this time, he's staying down in Joppa, about 30 miles south of here along the coast. Uh, his name is Simon, but he also goes by Peter. He's staying at another Simon's house, Simon, who's a tanner who has his shop by the sea. And I want you to send for him because he has a message for you. And so I, I took two of my servants and one of my most trusted soldiers, and I said, guys, you won't believe what happened to me. But this is what the story is. And now I'm going to send you. Go, find this Simon Peter. Go to find this place. Go to this person and say that I need to meet him. I need to hear from him. And so I sent them off. Well, I'm Peter. And I look a lot like Peter. I'm a country fisherman from Galilee. And I've always been a Jew. My heritage, that's what makes me who I am. The Jews, we are God's chosen people. I am a son of Abraham, and I know the one true God. I may not have always been the smartest or said the best things, but I know who I am. We Jews were raised to follow the laws of the Torah, and those rules were given to us by Moses himself. The Romans, they've been oppressing my people for far too long. They may have conquered us, but they're pagan through and through. They are unclean. They worship many false gods. Their lack of holiness is disgusting. To compare the Romans to the Jews is like comparing garbage to a Passover meal. Speaking of food, we were commanded to eat clean before eating clean was even a thing. There's no way I would ever go non-kosher. Those rules are from the law, the Torah. Those rules are what set us apart from those dirty pagans. And our rules, they're sacred. They came from the one true God, and we Jews are his people, not any other nation. Our rules are sacred. So I want to tell you a story, what happened to me one day. I had been experiencing such amazing highs of ministry. Um, in Joppa, a woman came back to life. I had seen many people come to faith in Jesus, and things were going great. I was staying with a man named Simon, who was a tanner, and I continued my practice of prayer regularly. So I had gone up to the rooftop to pray around noon, but I was hungry. You know, there's that food thing. Um, and as I was praying, my vision and my prayers sort of blurred together, and all of a sudden, from the sky, there came a blanket 
that sat down on the ground, all four, all four corners on the ground. And there were, there were all kinds of animals. There were kosher animals and non-kosher animals, and there were birds and there were reptiles. Some of them were kosher, some of them were not. And this was very, very odd. So there was this voice, and the voice said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. That was odd. This was definitely not kosher food. So of course I argued. That's what Peter does. By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. This vision was quickly turning into a nightmare. How could I, a Jew, ever consider eating something common or unclean? But that voice, it came again. What God has made clean, do not call common. And it happened three times. That's when things started clicking in my mind. The first time wasn't enough, nor was the second. Third, because Jesus and I, we had a thing with threes. Maybe you remember the rooster crowing story? Yeah. And then, but the time that really gets me is afterwards, he reminded me that I was forgiven three times. And you know what he said to me? Feed my sheep. That third reminder took me right back to that moment on the seashore with Jesus. And I realized that the nightmare was no longer a nightmare, but an actual message from God. I was still thinking about what all of this would mean. And fortunately, I had the Holy Spirit because he said, someone's coming, you need to go with them. And I heard a knock at the door. So I went down and there were three men there. There, three again. Um, I looked at them and I said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? Well, they started telling me about a man, a Roman man named Cornelius, and he was a commander. The Jews liked him. Apparently an angel had appeared to him. He was still a Roman. Against my better judgment, I invited those men in. Even though it would make Simon's house unclean and it felt wrong, I invited them in. It was a turning point in my life. I was still confused as to what all of this was about, but I knew that God wanted me to do it. And since I was already breaking the laws of my father, I even set out with my brothers to go with Cornelius's men to his house. And knowing that they were on their way to come to my house, I invited all my friends and I got all my family together and we waited patiently in our compound for him to come because I knew that he was being sent by God. And so when he came up the street and came through the door, I bowed down because I thought, wow, here's an angel from God, a messenger of God himself. And I started to worship him. I looked at Cornelius and all of these people and I said, stand up. I too am a man. I kept shaking my head. What was I doing here among all of these pagan Romans? How was it even possible? I, I knew God told us that, that Jesus told us we were going to Samaria and the ends of the earth, but that really ended with Samaria for me. The ends of the earth, that, that could not have included the Romans. I like to be in front of an audience, so I just, I stood up and I said, I had this aha moment. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I cannot call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came here without objection. I asked then, why was I sent for? 
And so I, I explained to him, I explained to Peter that three days ago I had this, this vision at three in the afternoon and, and so I sent my three men down there to bring him back because this vision asked me to send for this Peter who was staying at the house of Simon. He was so specific. And so I sent for you so I know that you are here to, to tell us, that you're here to give us a message. So what is it? What is it that we need to hear from you? Tell us everything that the Lord wants you to say. Before I could go into the message of Jesus, I, I had to be broken. So I said to them, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So I needed to actually be broken to walk through those doors to go into Cornelius's house. Just because I'm a Jew doesn't mean I'm better than anyone else. Cornelius, he didn't even know Jesus yet. And God said that he was doing good things. So let me time out and stop being Peter for a minute and just talk to you as Bridget. Um, it strikes me that before Peter even begins to share the message of Jesus, that he had to get broken of his biases, that he needed to move past what he thought was the people worthy of hearing the message of Jesus to step through the threshold into Cornelius's home so that he could preach the message of Christ. So we can even call this Peter's second conversion so that he could see beyond his own walls. I just want you to catch this point. What we see is a follower of Jesus who still had biases against those unlike, unlike him. This story reminds me of an experience that I had this past April. My family and I went to a, um, a wedding, a family wedding in Dallas, and we were there over the weekend. And something in my head clicked that, oh, that pastor that I listened to on the radio, Tony Evans, have you heard of him? Anybody? Okay. So he is a world-renowned pastor, and he has a church in Dallas, Texas. And I thought, well, I'm there on a Sunday. We might as well go and check out his church. Um, so I had mentioned to my cousin, we were staying with him and his family, that we were intending to do this. And he has lived in Dallas for decades and so knows the area. And he said, you know, you might want to try this other church or maybe this church you'd, you'd like a little bit better. And, and I just kept saying, no, I, I think I want to go to Tony Evans' church. And, um, and so that's what we did. We ended up going. When I pulled in, I realized what my cousin maybe was thinking behind the scenes, we, we were the minority um, by far. And I mean, like, out of thousands, there were a handful of um, those that, it was a predominantly black church, and we were not. So when we went there, we, we didn't look like the rest of the congregation. And maybe someone comes into our congregation and feels that way, like they don't look the same. But can I tell you that the message of Christ was preached. The Bible was preached. God was being worshiped. We were unified in that congregation, even though we did not look the same externally. So had we chosen not to step into that church, we would have missed out on something very special that God was doing. And I'd like to think that our presence maybe helped them in some way too, just seeing that um, others were also doing the same thing they were, maybe just not in the same place. So I don't want to miss out on what God is doing because I can't see past someone's politics or their gender or their nationality or their age 
or their sexual orientation, or their sin, or their economic status, or their education, their school district, their health, their addiction, their mental health, their need level, their intelligence, or their church denomination. Can we not all see all people as humans created by Christ who made us, by God who made us? Should our differences prevent us from sharing the gospel of Christ? Peter had to be broken so that he could enter Cornelius' house. Where do we need to be broken? What people group or specific person is the Cornelius in your life? The one who is, and I don't even want to say it, the one who is unworthy of the gospel of Jesus? There is no one. Imagine if we were willing to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, the one whispering in our ears, in our heads, our hearts, that this person, the one who seems so different, so undeserving, so bad and filthy, is the one who needs to hear the message of Jesus. What if we followed those promptings and we looked at it as if each person was created by God like we are? What if we saw our own brokenness as a bridge to the heart of the unlovable? What would our family lives be like? What would our communities be like? How about Pittsburgh, our country, the world, if not one single person was exempted from the news of Jesus? Thank you, Bridget. Amen. Good message. Good word. So Peter needed to be broken in order to get this aha experience that he received that day. He needed Cornelius. He needed to get to know Cornelius. But Cornelius also needed Peter. It, it, it was reciprocal in both ways. There were two conversions happening that day. Cornelius was being converted to faith in Jesus Christ, but Peter was being converted to believing in the message of Jesus for the world, the mission of Jesus for all the world, not just his Jewish people. So the gospel broke down some pretty big walls that day, and the gospel still is wanting to break down the walls that we build. So the story goes on and Cornelius listens as Peter begins to explain to him about this Jesus that he was following and the miracles and the message of Jesus and the, 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 the accusations against him and the unjust crucifixion and death and his burial and his resurrection and his appearance and then all of a sudden how he, he ascended into heaven and the spirit came on them and then all of a sudden as Peter was speaking without any prompting the spirit fell upon Cornelius and all the people that are in their house and the same thing that happened on the, on the day of Pentecost to these Jews in Jerusalem who had been praying was now happening to these Romans, these, these, these Italians, these, these pagans. And before Peter's eyes, they're receiving the Holy Spirit the same way that Peter and his friends received the Holy Spirit. And so Peter heard them speaking in tongues and praising God as they had done on Pentecost. And Peter says, surely... No one can stand in the way of their being baptized in water, meaning we are going to welcome them into the family of God. We are going to see that they too can be buried and raised to new life in Christ. Their sins can be forgiven. They can have a new life following God. And they can be a part of us, this initiation right into the family of God. We want to welcome them. 
That, folks, was revolutionary. It was revolutionary. And so they, they, they received the Spirit as we have, he said, and he ordered them to be baptized. And then Peter even stayed with them for several days. Imagine that. Imagine that. This is a phenomenal story, folks. Until you can understand the cultural differences and the walls and the divides between these two, you can't appreciate the power of the Holy Spirit to break down those prejudices, those biases, those preconceptions, those thinkings, those ways of their theology that needed to be adjusted. And so when I read these kinds of stories about our spiritual ancestors, our spiritual DNA is all about people learning how to continue to adjust the way they think and the way they view others. I'm challenged by that and inspired by that. Are you? Are you? Who's the Cornelius in your life, as Bridget asked? Who are the people in your life that you need to be open to be saying, maybe I'm thinking a little too narrowly. Maybe God sees people a little differently than I do. So there's just four quick things I want to leave you with, and you're welcome to write these down or fill in the blanks if you have the app here. Number one is this. When sacred rules become sacred cows, they become unholy walls. When sacred rules become sacred cows, your rules, your thinking the way that life is supposed to be and things are supposed to be, when they become sacred cows... They're, they're walls. They become walls between you and other people. Acts is a story, like I said, of how God broke down these walls that separated people. Why then are we so quick to build walls between us and others? And in a divided culture in which we live right now, we need to hear this message perhaps more than ever. One person believes that. Acts is a story of this, this breaking down walls. Second thing I want you to walk away with this. Conversion isn't a one and done thing. Conversion isn't a one and done thing. What am I saying? It means, you know, when we come to Christ, yes, our sins are forgiven. We're made right before God. But that's not the goal line. That's the starting blocks. That's the beginning of faith in Christ. And if you are a follower of Christ, sanctification is progressive. That doesn't mean you become, well, it, partly it means you become morally more right with God, but also mentally and socially more right with God. And we think, well, I'm not going to smoke as much. I'm not going to drink as much. I'm not going to fool around as much. And that's what we think sanctification is about. But it's also about getting your thinking right and your behavior toward other people right too. Conversion isn't a one and done thing. Peter needed to be converted to the message and to the mission of Jesus to the world. That meant people unlike Jews. That meant people who he had these very, very large qualms about react, uh, relating to. So we must always be open for further transformation. Number three, this is it. This is your story. It's my story. This is our spiritual DNA. This is our ancestry, spiritualancestry.com. This is how the movement began. This is what it was all about. Are we being true to our DNA or are we causing it to become distorted?
by our biases and our attitudes. And then, unfortunately, the last thing I want to bring to you is that you might say today, God, break me of this bias and God, help me to love this Cornelius in my life. And it's easy to do it here, right? Come on. It's easy to, to do it here. It's a lot harder when you go to work tomorrow. It's a lot harder when you're relating to your neighborhood. It's not harder. This is a very homogeneous unit. We have a bit of diversity here, but socially, economically, and racially, and all that. But you out in the world, it's a very diverse place. And we carry our biases with us. And it's a lot easier to say, well, I'm not biased here. But you go out there. Peter, the point I want to make is biases don't die easily. Because we'll see in the coming weeks as we read about the story of Peter and Paul that Paul, though he was the most fervent Jewish of the Jew, Jew of the Jews, he began accepting the Gentiles much more readily than Peter did. And they, they had some pretty big arguments over how much the Gentiles had to change and how many customs they had to embrace in order to be accepted into Christianity and to followers of the way. So you'll see that, that Peter had an aha moment here, but um, you know, he backed off of it a little bit as we see from here on out, which goes to show that you know, believers in the same family can see things differently, right? And, uh, and we, we live with that today. So I want to close, and I'm not sure exactly how to close. I'll ask the band to come up right now, but this is where I just believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us individually. There might have been things said today, and you might say, oh, man, that, I'm not sure I agree with that. Man, I, that's kind of pushing the envelope a little bit for me. You know, let the Holy Spirit speak to you today, and uh, let's do our best to respond. Would you bow your heads with me, please, for just a minute? So maybe as we're telling the story, you might have connected the dots in your own life. And um, there is that group of people that you find it difficult to believe that God loves them as much as you, that forgiveness is available for them as much as it was for you. Not that they don't need to be forgiven as much as you need to be forgiven, but grace is available to them. And today, maybe you need to say, God, uh, maybe I should get to know that person. Maybe I should be slow to judge and quick to listen, understand and pray. I know, God, it, it, it feels like compromise to me if I, if I have to do some things, but I know that's what Peter felt too. But God, for those that are close to you that just need somebody to tell them there's a God in heaven that knows you by name who loves you and sees your desire to be right with him. Come to Jesus. He's here for you. That's the message. Help them to do that, I pray. In Jesus' name we ask. And we give you thanks. Move by your spirit, I pray. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that maybe they're, they're so close to believing in you, but there are things that 
Christians have done and said that have kept them from believing. And now they see, oh, well, maybe, maybe what the Bible says is a little different than what I've heard or received from others. God, help them to believe in the Jesus of Scripture, the movement of God at its beginnings, so they might come to faith in you personally too. Tear down the walls between us, I pray, God, between us and others, and even us and other Christians, I pray, so that we might worship you and be right with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.